Welcome back to the Traverse Theatre's Open Submissions Workshop podcast, where we give you the tools to take you from idea to draft. Today's workshop with Julia Todovan looks at writing for yourself to perform. If you're enjoying the series so far, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at Traverse Theatre or email us info at traverse.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get these workshops straight to your feed as soon as they're released each Wednesday. Hi, I'm Julia Todovan. I do a whole bunch of different things. Two of the things that I do is that I write and I perform. Sometimes I do these two things separately. Sometimes I do them at the same time. Uh, So if you are watching this, you are also a writer performer or you want to become one, in which case, well done. It's lots of fun. Um, Thanks for watching. Hopefully in the next half hour, I can give you something useful or interesting to think about. Um, The Travers have asked me to put together this wee video to tell you some of the things that I've learned over my 13 years of writing for myself to perform um, so that you might be encouraged or inspired to write your own play to perform and submit it to them in their open windows, uh, open submissions window that opens on the 1st of September this year. Now, I'm currently under commission to the Travers through their creative fellowship that they run with the Edinburgh University, with the Irish department. And I pitched them an idea for myself to perform that I really was not expecting them to commission. Because in all my 13 years of writing plays for myself to perform, plays that have toured the world and won various awards, I have never been formally commissioned to write a play for myself to perform. But... I have been now, which is brilliant for me, but also hopefully signals a shift in the cultural landscape towards um, this art form being more openly recognised as a legitimate art form and opening more platforms and spaces for more diverse voices and stories to be heard and appreciated. So I will start off by telling you a little bit about my journey over the last um, 13 years, Um, and then I will share with you some of the things that have worked for me I have a few exercises for you that might be useful. Uh, So if you want to get a pen and paper or an open document, now would be the time to do it. I've got my notes down here to keep me on track so that hopefully I don't spraff on too much. So first about me, I was an actor for the first 10 years of my life in mainstream theatre based in London. At the end of those 10 years, I experienced a life-changing loss. The person who was closest to me died, my brother, and I moved to Glasgow and immediately stopped getting cast. Now, this loss completely changed my life. I began to reassess everything, my relationship with myself, my relationship with my family, my friends, my lovers, my community, my body, my past, my privilege, my politics and my work. It was the beginning of my feminist awakening and I literally have no idea what my brother would think about that, which gives you some indication of how big a change this was for me. So through this feminist awakening, I began to reflect on the parts that I had played up until then and the stories that they have been, had been a part of. And I began to look at the parts that I was being put up for or auditioning for or not even getting seen for. So I began through this process of reflection to think about what I wanted to see on stage. 
And I wanted to see my own experience reflected back to me respectfully. I also wanted to see new stories told in new ways, ways that felt more exciting. And I realized that I had that. I had the power to do that. I had the desire to see and create new characters and new stories that reflected my experience. I had the desire and the power to break the boredom, the same old stories over again and again, told in exactly the same ways. Now, all of this happened at the height of the arches in the Glasgow. Now, the arches were this used to be this amazing space um, where emergent theatre makers, radical theatre makers and live artists were given free space and support by the staff um, in the organisation to try stuff out and crucially to connect with each other and form collaborative relationships. More in collaboration later because I think it's really, really important when you're writing for yourself to perform. So it was through the arches that I met my long-term collaborator and now husband um, and the co-founder of my uh, company, Disaster Plan, the himself uh, writer-performer, um, Kieran Hurley. Now, I have co-directed every single play that Kieran has ever written for himself to perform. So some of the exercises that I'm sharing with you over the next half hour are partly inspired by, um, in response to that experience, having seen how he works as a writer-performer and knowing how I work as a writer-performer. And there are two very different approaches and different, different processes. So I've tried to cover those two, some of those bases, because I know you will be different as well. However, before that, it is worth talking a little bit about attitudes to the writer-performer, certainly the female writer-performer in Scotland anyway. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I haven't until this year been formally commissioned to write a play for myself to perform ever. I have always found the necessary funding to make my plays meet an audience um, through self-starting, through producing my own work or finding partners that would be able to, that would help me produce it. Um, I will talk a little bit at the end of this about self-starting and approaches to that and ideas for that, um, just so that if you don't get a commission through this submission window or any other submission window, you might have some other ideas of where to go if you don't already have them. So, the attitude to the writer-performer. In the past 13 years, in Scotland, in my experience, the attitudes have been those of scepticism and sexism. I have had the work of the writer-performer described as not a real play, as arrogant, as a last-ditch attempt of an actor not getting enough work, um, I've had it described often by venues as not what their audience wants, even when work that I have written for myself to perform and brought to their venue as a visiting company has sold out performances. This has been the general attitude. Now, these attitudes are obviously slowly changing, and I think they will continue to change as we go into a rece recession. But if you are unfortunate enough to encounter any of this pesh, I would encourage you to gently direct the holder of these 
archaic views to the work of any of the award-winning internationally acclaimed artists that I am going to put for you on this card right now. Here's an inexhaustive list of award-winning internationally recognised writer-performers in the UK theatre industry. Selena Thompson, Brownie Kimmings, Caroline Horton, Tim Crouch, Kieran Hurley, Joe Clifford, Chris Good, Chris Thorpe, Gary McNair, Daniel Bai, and Deborah Pearson. Basically, it's a legit way to write a play, and anyone who tells you otherwise is just wrong. Now, you will notice a definite imbalance in favour of the white cis male on that list. Now, I won't go into my thoughts on why that is too much, but I will say that it relates to the attitude that writing for yourself to perform is arrogant. And the more privileged a person is, the more a person's perceived arrogance is accepted or even encouraged. But I don't believe it is arrogant to perform your own work. It is a natural impulse for many artists to be the vessel that conveys their own ideas to an audience, to inhabit their own voice. So in my opinion, as long as the work that you are writing for yourself to perform is inextricably linked with your own need to express ideas and is rooted in your own body and your own voice, then it is the job of the cultural landscapers to make space for you, especially if you rank lower in the hierarchy of privilege. Now, for me, I started off telling stories about being a cis white woman trying to escape cycles of abuse and trauma. Those stories have diversified and developed over 13 years, but what hasn't is my refusal to compromise on my politics when I write for myself to perform. If I compromise on my Marxist intersectional feminist politics, then what, in my opinion, is the point of writing for myself to perform? My voice is no longer mine. Now, the Traverse have said that they are reading for exciting and authentic voices and not just necessarily well-formed plays. So let's spend a little time thinking about your voice. This is obviously in relation to the project that you are going to submit, hopefully, to the Traverse Open Submissions window. But you could also consider each point in relation to your artistic voice in general. Now, you want to make, might want to make notes, you might want to record yourself or just reflect. Whatever you're doing, I will give you a little time between each point. So, I would like you to take a minute now to think about why you have to perform what you write.
I would now ask you to take a minute to flip that question on its head and think about why you have to write for yourself to perform. And now I ask you to think about why you have to write at all. flip that question on its head. Why do you have to perform at all? Now, for me, the key to being the performer of my own work is the live relationship between the performer, the audience, and the author. The liveness of connection that can only come from being in a room with other people and communicating with them. That is what it's all about for me. All of my work is written, and so there isn't really any element of it that is improvised but there is always an element of liveness. Now this might come from music, 
Um, it might come from clowning or audience interaction. Whatever it is, whatever this element that is specific to me performing my own work, when it is live, it is rarely spontaneous. Part of my approach to writing for myself to perform is knowing who I am as a performer and the ways in which I connect with an audience. And then considering how this live connection works within the context of the play as a whole. Is it furthering the drama or the conflict? Is it evolving our understanding of the character? Is it communicating a political or dramaturgical point? For example, my current Traverse Commission is heavily dependent on my persona as a clown. Now, clowning is dependent on an audience. It's dependent on the liveness of an interaction, a connection, a connection that is vital to the piece that I am writing. But I am in the depths right now of figuring out what that is, what that connection is, and when I need to rely on that liveness, that connection, to push home uh, uncomfortable truth or make, make an audience sit in a place for long enough to consider the wider world around them. I'll talk later about how you write this or how I write this into a draft. My point is that whatever it is that makes it essential for you to perform your work, it needs to be intentional within the context of the play. It needs to hold an element of the liveness that is unique to your voice and your body being present. Which brings me to my next point. Liveness requires collaboration. There's no such thing as a solo show, right? So to make, to make work for yourself to perform, you need collaborators. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do is to think about who else you need to help you realize your project? Collaboration. So, collaboration. All theatre is collaborative, right? For your project that you are writing for yourself to perform, I want you to think about who you need to make it happen. Maybe it is a specific artist that you already know. Maybe it is a director, designer, Musician, clown, academic, acrobat, magician, I don't know. Take a minute now to reflect and write down some thoughts about this.
Now, think about that collaboration and what it is that you need from them in the creation of this piece. This is going to be key when it comes to writing your draft. Write down now what it is you need from them. Writing your draft, straight up. I have never begun a process by sitting down at my laptop and writing the play that I'm going to perform. Some people work like that, I don't. What I need is at least a week of R&D, either alone or with my collaborators. Exploring some of the questions that I've talked to you about in this video and the themes, ideas, elements of the piece that I'm going to explore or that I'm going to try and make. At the end of that week, I have the beginning of a play that I can, or an idea for a play that I can build on. So, for example, with my current Traverse Commission, <clears throat> I had a residency at Summer Hall, a week-long residency, and I invited a special effects designer to come into that residency with me and play with fake blood and prosthetics and to listen to a bunch of British classical music to figure out if there was anything funny about extreme gore and British patriotism. At the end of that week, I um, shared our discoveries with an audience. I had five minutes of material, most of which was action and clowning. And a little, maybe there was about 10 written lines, <laughs> maybe 15 at most. So a lot of it was stage directions, if I had written it down, um, with stage directions like she pulls off her arm and blood spurts all over the audience. The audience responded to this extremely well. And through my conversations with them afterwards, I discovered that there was the beginning of a really interesting, funny and exciting um, political comedy grotesque political comedy about the British Empire. And so I had an idea for a play. That was all I knew. I took some time then uh, through my process of applying to the IASH, um, to the IASH um, Fellowship to think about what that play might become, who the character was at the heart of it, um, what areas I wanted to research and what kind of artists I needed to collaborate with to realize my vision. This is what I pitched to the Traverse. There was no script. The script is what I'm in the middle of writing right now. So submitting a draft script to the Traverse 
before you have started playing with some of the ideas is no small task. But remember, they, the Traverse, are looking for new and exciting voices. And so your task is to communicate that through the text that you send them as much as telling a brilliant story. Process. For me, the process of writing for myself to perform is a little different to writing a play for others to perform. I usually need to start off my writing by being really physical. I usually need to have done some time physicalizing the world of the character. Um, that might be through dancing to a particular kind of music, um, warming up my voice in a certain way, or maybe putting in a pair of fake teeth. Fit pair, set, set of fake teeth. I always begin with a sentence. I write a sentence that tells me what the play I'm writing is about. That is my anchor throughout the process. One sentence pinned to the wall or on a sticky note on a laptop or somewhere, something that reminds me what the hell it is I'm trying to do here, what it is I'm trying to say. So every time I get lost, I can go back to that sentence and remember, remind myself and get back on task. Now this sentence may change as the play develops, but it is the starting point and the continual actor, uh, anchor. <laughs> um, I also usually build a relevant playlist or reading list or watch list, um, and that evolves through a process which I can dip into when I need inspiration. When I was writing Blow Off, for example, um, there was moments where I would just have Patti Smith, sometimes on silent in the far corner of my studio, and I would just have her presence there moving about, singing, physicalizing things, and it was just about having her space in the room for me to be inspired to figure out how, where I needed to go next with the text. I talk through my ideas with my most trusted friends and colleagues. Friends, really, friends. I often try to tell the story of my play like I might tell a joke or an anecdote at a pub, remember those, or at a party. <laughs> um, I try to keep it short and simple, and I gauge interest and gauge confusion as I tell it. I'm constantly trying to evolve the story that I'm telling in relation to a listener. In terms of storytelling, you can't go wrong by at least starting off following the established three or five act structure of either a comedy or a tragedy, whatever you're trying to write. My weakest point when writing for myself to perform is always act two. I'm okay, pretty good with act one, setting up character and setting up conflict. And I'm pretty good at figuring out their demise or otherwise. <laughs> this comes naturally to me. But what happens that to them in the middle is always a bit of a difficulty. So how you overcome this really depends on what kind of play you are writing. To that end, here are a few more thinking points for you. I have separated them out into three different sections depending on how you are telling your story, whether you're telling it as a character or as a narrator or as yourself, a version of yourself. 
So you probably want to listen to all three and then skip back to the one that's relevant to you or not. One, are you playing a character all the way through? If so, what is their relationship to what is happening around them? Is that in the world of the play or is it in the theatre itself and the world of the audience? Who is your character talking to? Why are they talking to them? Is it in real time or is it in reflection? And what cost is there to the character during the course of the play, during the course of telling their story? Two, are you narrating a story? In which case, who are you as narrator? Who is your narrator's character and what is their relationship to the drama of the story that you are telling? What is the narrator's relationship to the audience? How does the narrator's character evolve as the drama in the story they are telling plays out? And is there a cost to the narrator over the course of the play, i.e., what is the narrator's dramatic journey? Three, are you playing yourself? If so, what version of yourself are you playing? How does that version of yourself relate to the drama of the story you are telling us? How are you affected by this story? How does it change you? Does it cost you anything to tell us this? Is it hard? What bits are easy or easier and why? How can you make them harder? Do you want to make them harder? If not, why? What is your relationship to your audience? Does that relationship change as your story affects you? If so, how? I.e., what is your dramatic journey? in real time. Take some time now to think about these points.
So once you have the story you want to tell and why you want to tell it and how you are telling it and who you are as you tell it and you know why it is you that must be the one to write it and it is you that must be the one to tell it, to perform it, then you might want to start your research and you might want to start your writing. Writing your play. Now, I have written plays for myself to perform in a number of different ways. I'll share some of those approaches with you in case that is helpful. Uh, so my play Blow Off is part uh, gig, part dramatic monologue. And I wrote it with the expression, express intention of creating a space for female rage. It's a story about a woman who eventually blows up a building in the financial sector. That's basically all that happens. And it's about her journey towards that, her walking up there towards that and reflecting on everything that has led her to this moment. There is a lot of poetic text, but there is also constant mu music throughout live music. And it is highly physical. It's a highly physical story. Now, I wrote it in collaboration with three musicians, awesome, amazing musicians. Now, sometimes they were jamming in relation or in response to some of the text that I wrote, or sometimes I was writing in response to some of the text, that, uh, some of the music that they were making. I've already mentioned I had Patti Smith in the corner, sometimes on silence, just a physical presence so that I always was tapping into a different energy if I needed it. Um, in terms of the play text, I wrote all stage directions referring to us, myself and the musicians by our first names. And I was attempting to capture the musical and physical energy of each moment rather than describing it beat by beat for what actually happens. So the play itself tells a story through the spoken text. It also tells a story musically which I have written in, and it also tells a story physically. Now, the next play I'm going to describe to you is something, is one that I know less about because I'm in the middle of writing it, and that is my current commission for the Traverse. And that is a character monologue delivered directly to the audience, acknowledging that the audience are there. And it relies heavily on clang, as I've already mentioned. So in terms of writing it, it is a relatively straightforward monologue. Someone who goes, a character who goes through a real-time experience from A to B, um, live with the audience. That's playing out, an ex, a drama that is playing out dramatically um, in real time. When I'm writing it, however, I am constantly trying to capture the playfulness of the character of the clown relationship with the audience, because there are moments in that A to B journey that I cannot predict, that I cannot pre-write because they will be entirely dependent on what happens between the character, Auntie, and the audience. When I'm writing these moments, I am trying to communicate on the page what the moment will feel like, how I, as the performer, will manage the moment in the context of the play to communicate something to the audience or manipulate them into feeling something that they're uncomfortable with feeling or make them laugh at something that they might not otherwise laugh at. Put them into a different space so that they can see the wider picture. 
Again, I'm not writing this beat for beat, partly because it's impossible, but also because what I'm actually trying to do is trying to capture the unique essence of what that moment needs to be that is only going to be possible at this stage anyway, if I'm the one who performs it. So, as you write your first draft, think about how you are going to perform it, who you are as the performer and what relation that has to the wider story, how it sits within you. What are the elements of action or character that are vital to you telling it? What is the message that is unique to you being the person, the body on stage, conveying that message? Find a way to express these things through the writing beyond the actual spoken words of the play. Now, this doesn't have to be long, lengthy stage directions, although I suppose it could be. Um, examples of plays with stage directions that really capture the spirit of something um, are here. I'll put them in a card next if you want to take a little look and do some research and take some inspiration from folk who have done things like that before. Here are three plays you can read for illustrative stage directions. What Girls Are Made Of by Cora Bissett, Misty by Arenzi Kenny, and Dance Nation by Claire Barron. Now I'm going to return to collaborators because I think they're so important. Um, if you already have a collaborator on board or you have someone in mind to help you get this first draft down on the page, then please, please, please talk about intellectual property before you start work. When I was starting out as a writer-performer, I lost some quite close friendships by not being respectful or careful or honest enough. So now I always start any project by drawing up a letter of agreement that states that this is my project and if I require collaboration in the creation of it, I am seeking the collaboration of so-and-so to do this or that or whatever. Um, I don't make work for free anymore, so I usually, um, well, I haven't not for some time been able to pay my collaborators appropriately for their contribution to my work. Um, but if you're not in that position, then the very least you can do is discuss crediting, um, if not agreeing future royalty splits. This is a conversation that needs to be respectful to your collaborator, but also needs to not shortchange yourself. For example, uh, when writing or crediting my own work, it's always written by me and sometimes I have additional text or additional lyrics or translation provided by and then my collaborators' names. Now, I will talk a little bit about um, what you might expect further down the process um, for those of you who haven't done this before. So in production... If you are writing for yourself to perform, you are likely to also have a really keen and clear idea of how the play should be realised. And there will become, there will come a point when you will need to discuss crediting with whoever puts it on, with whoever directs it. Now, I always work with a co-director, but there are plenty of writer-performers out there who cred credit directors, sole, sole directors, Quite often you'll have writer-performer directors who work with the same director, uh, writer-performers who work with the same director all the time. It's up to you how you want to work, 
But I would encourage you to take authorial confidence over the direction that the production takes, regardless of how you credit yourself. I, when I'm working, usually distinguish what hat I'm speaking with um, when I'm in production. So I might say something like playwright AJ's hat is on now or performer Julia speaking now, something like that. This is mostly to clarify uh, my own internal collaborative process as much as it is anything else. So the next thing I want to talk about is being paid as a writer performer. I imagine on the brink of a recession, as we are now, we may well see this art form being a little exploited. And so I just want to talk briefly about how you get paid as a writer and performer. And that is that you should, in an ideal world, get paid for each individual role with your appropriate, at least basic minimum wage as agreed by your union. That means that you are due a commission as a writer and that you are due a fee as a performer. And a director's fee or a split fee, depending on if you're doing those jobs as well. Now, that might not be possible for a number of reasons. And if you agree to that, of course, that is completely your bag, your ball to decide that, to work for that um, whatever fee you agree. But I would urge you to, at some point, either in an email or an invoice, indicate what work you are giving in kind if you're not being paid for your full role. And self-starting. I did say that I, at the beginning, I said I would talk a little bit about self-starting. Now, we are at the beginning of an era of cultural funding that none of us know anything about. So it's a little bit difficult to predict how things will go from here. But nevertheless, if you have a play that must be produced, but isn't commissioned through this window or any other window that you're submitting it to, and you have it within you to self-produce, then that is a legitimate way for you to go to make sure that your work happens. There certainly were before this pandemic a number of opportunities for developing ideas, but not all of them, I would say not many of them, would lead to production. I'll give you a little list of places you can go for development. Here's a list of opportunities for writer-performer development in Scotland. National Theatre of Scotland's Engine Room Programme, Summer Hall Lab, Stellar Quines, Tron Theatre and Magnetic North. Links to these opportunities will be featured on the Open Submissions Workshop page on our website. So go there for more details. Now, as I say, these rarely lead to production and sometimes can be a barrier to future funding. If the funder looks at an application and sees that you've had a certain amount of support from X organisation and thinks, well, why doesn't that organisation support this production further? So what I would say to you is this. If you are successful in getting an official development phase somewhere, um, one of these places that I've just um, written up for you, um, and if that organisation is unable to take the production to, to take the, the project to full production for whatever reason, then ask them to put their money where their mouth is and support you in writing an application to a funding body or a trust so that you can take it to production yourself. 
That support could come in writing the application. It could be in-kind support. It could be financial support. Um, ideally, you would have a relationship with a producer and at least one venue before applying for funds. And these relationships would be in place and the venue would be on board with programming the work. Here is a list of places that you might go to for money. Although, as I say, who knows what the future will hold. Here are some funds you might be eligible to apply for as a writer performer. Creative Scotland's Open Fund, Sustaining Creative Development. The Arts Council's National Lottery Project Grants. National Theatre of Wales, Time Equals Money Bursaries. The Scottish Book Trust's Ignite Fellowships. Welcomes Public Engagement Fund. Grants from the Society of Authors the Arts Council of Ireland, the Peggy Ramsden Foundation, the Royal Society of Literature, the Francis W. Recca Arts Trust, Gerard Arts, Fenton Arts Trust, and the Royal Literary Fund. And that's it, really. Um, my intention was to encourage, inspire you to write a play for yourself to perform and encourage you to submit that uh, to the Traverse on the 1st of September when their um, window opens and hopefully also to encourage you to continue to find other ways for it to get to this to uh, an audience even if you don't get a commission through this window so um best of luck and um stay well and safe you can watch or listen to all available open submissions workshops on our website for more information and to support our talent development work please see the support us page on our website Every donation makes a huge difference.